Welcome to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The only Mavericks podcast not having any fun today. We're recording Memorial Day evening around 5 p.m. Visiting my parents. Mike Pellucci is visiting his house. My wife like. is my wife has been very sick for the last three days. So it has actually been a very not fun Memorial Day weekend. Doesn't have COVID, thankfully, but uh, but is very sick. So yeah, between between that, uh, not the best most exciting weekend, but we're going to try to have the best, most exciting Mavericks podcast recorded today. How about that, Timmy? Let's just work through a few different topics here, I think is is the way that we're going to frame this podcast. Um, we've done, me and Austin last week did a postmortem of the season that was, and it was more celebratory and, you know, it, it focused on acknowledgement of what the Mavericks accomplished. I think at, you know, about five days removed, six days removed, five Whatever, however, however many days removed from the season ending, it's time to start looking back in terms of what we learned. And I think the question that has certainly been circulating other places, but one that is important to have, is the question of how you build around Luca. To to open this, there's no wrong way to build around Luca. We know this. You know, you could put just about any player next to him, and it would be good because Luca makes players around him better, pretty much no matter who you are. But the, the specific convo that we've been having is, does there need to be a second star next to Luca, or do they just need to improve the supporting cast? Or if they get a second star, what type of second star is that? Is Rudy Gobert a second star? You know, he's not a role player, but he's not also, you know, the, the prototypical 25-point scorer. Maybe you look at the Warriors. The Warriors, I think, at this point, have one star. They have Stephen Curry. That's one star. They have Draymond Green, who isn't exactly a role player, um, or maybe he's the best possible version of a role player that exists. They have a scorer um, in Clay Thompson that, you know, at least in that series, was about as effective as as Jalen Brunson in, in very different ways, of course. But right, you yeah. know, they have they have someone who is a a second level scorer, a, a, a three layer, a three level scorer, and you know, gets to the rim, shoots threes, hits mid range, but someone who can get you 20 points fairly consistently. And, and so the question is like, okay, if they have that player is, is Jalen Brunson just not going to be good enough. And, and they got to get somebody else in that, that second role who is, who is better, you know, at times Spencer Dinwiddie filled in that role. I think it's clear that the Mavericks don't have enough broad talent around this roster. The question is where do you focus in, and hone in on and say, this is the place in the roster, the second player, the fourth player, you know, the fifth, sixth, and seventh players collectively. Where do you focus in and say, that's right there is where the Mavericks are just a little bit lacking in talent to be the finals contender, to make a finals run, to potentially be champions, which is what they're now building towards. Man, it's complicated. Because... Right? <laughs> yeah, it's I mean this is, you know, look, they did the hardest part. They got they got Luca. Now the margins start narrowing more and more and more. And what narrows the margins even further than just the obvious thing in a vacuum of you've got to get the right supporting pieces is that let's assume they re-sign Jalen Brunson because I think and Tim you could tell me the contrary, but I think we're presuming it's he'll be back. Uh they will I think it's, it's overwhelmingly Mavericks. likely. Yeah. The, the Mavericks want to are saying all the right things about making this a priority. Jalen wants to be here. They can pay him more than anyone else. 
It feels like, especially after the run they have, it makes sense for all parties involved to keep this going. Once that happens, though, what makes this real tricky is between Luka Doncic, Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Tim Hardaway Jr., who, lest we forget, a very important part of this roster, even though he hasn't been playing much since the new year due to season-ending foot injury, that is an overwhelming amount of your cap tied into four guys who do a lot of similar things and play similar positions. And so not only is it a matter of, well, what ideally fits around Luka, it then becomes how do you get those things when, you know, I, I picture almost a canoe, right? You know, imagine all of the weight on the back end of the canoe. What's going to happen? It's going to start teetering downward and the nose of the boat is going to be just comically high in the air. That's what this roster kind of looks like right now with the resources devoted to what's in the front court versus what's in the back court. Um, so far as what needs to happen, look, I'm generally of the mind that one of the things that cost them this series, uh, I realized that the shot quality was there for Dallas, right? Some of their, Jake Kemp, who writes for us over at D, has been on this and wrote about this, but like the shot quality was working. Dallas got the looks that they wanted and you could sit there and say, well, all right, well, and I'm sympathetic to this argument of if you run this series back a number of times and Dallas gets the shots that they get, they make more of those shots. This is a much closer series than five games. Maybe it's a series they win, right? Because process-wise, a lot of what they did worked. The problem, I think, with that is when you do that and you depend on the shot quality, but there's no plan B. Right, that was that was the issue. When the threes did not fall, there was nowhere else to turn. And we talked about this, you know, together. You talked about this with other guys, but the roster sort of backed you into that corner. And it wasn't like there was another plan B because you didn't have a big you trusted other than Maxi. You didn't have more than six and a half, maybe seven dudes you actually wanted to play. So what the hell, the hell else could you do? I don't know. Go small and shoot threes. Except you couldn't even really go small all the time by the Western Conference Finals because Finney Smith and Bullock had logged more minutes than any other two players in the playoffs. So to me, it's less about what that profile is, whether it's a second star versus better or more role players, so much as whatever it is, it has to give you more stylistic diversity. Because if the only plan is shoot the threes and hope that that falls – I just, that's a hard way to live for four straight series against the best teams of the league when, oh, by the way, and I hate that saying, but, you know, this is a good time to backdoor it in. Oh, by the way, the rest of the West is about to get much harder next year. 30 second sidebar. I like that there is an account out there on Twitter that is trying to track NBA shot quality. And I broadly agree that the Mavericks had pretty good looks that they did not convert at the rates that they had before. I'm hesitant to fully go all in on saying that account is is accurately depicting what is happening in a game. Also, uh, fair points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We both we both follow soccer, and basically, this is the early stages of expected goals, mm -hmm. a statistic that I do find very useful within a soccer game. But we have been we have worked with and used expected goals in soccer which basically takes a shot where it's taken the height of the ball, how many defenders are around it, where the goalkeeper is positioned. It uses all of that, and it has hundreds of thousands of data points of where similar shots have been taken in similar positions, and it gives you, it tries to give you a, a you know, 1 to 100, you know, 0.01 to 0.99. This is how often it goes in. And because we've worked with this stat long enough in soccer, we know that there's a lot of limitations to it as well, that, you know, there's certain ways that you can't use it. So I like that this account exists. I'm a little hesitant to go all in on, on this stat just yet. 
Um, that said, you can look at other stats. You can look at op- you know wide open threes, which the Mavericks were making at a lower clip against um, against the Warriors, and and you can look at you know various other ways. Uh, I just wanted to to toss that out there. I, I do like yeah, that it, it exists. And it's a really important discussion, right? Like, look, the right. the only sport where the analytics work super duper duper well is baseball. Because baseball is essentially an individual game masked as a team game. So it's very easy to isolate every single exchange and make it work. Basketball, it's never going to totally work that way. And so it is important to know that, yeah, even in that scenario, it might not be as pretty as it looks. So anyways, my point is, is that if the goal is to find something that gives you more stylistic options, well, what would that be? If I'm drawing it up, you know, ideally, it's probably someone who... Uh, can create offense and carry the load in almost any situation, you know, that's not Luka. And invariably, that probably means someone between Luka and Jalen Brunson because we saw there are the right matchup, Jalen Brunson looks like an all-star, and in other matchups, he merely looks good, which this time a year ago, we were talking about Jalen Brunson being the third guard. So the fact that we've gone from that to maybe the third guy on a title team, hell of a testament to Jalen. And I suppose if we're doing disclaimers, if there's one person you don't count out, on making another jump just because he'll wring every single ounce of potential out of himself. It's Jalen Brunson. Like athletically, I don't think that's coming, but we didn't think this was coming either. Jalen is one of those dudes who will get every, whatever, much like I said in this podcast that wherever the Mavericks would bow out of the playoffs is where they deserve to go out. Wherever Jalen Brunson's career ends up being is basically where it should end up being because he'll, he'll do what he has to do. But anyways, if the guy between Luca and Jalen is that dude who creates offense, who, doesn't get you torched on the defensive end, who ideally is you know, at least slightly above average on the defensive end, what I'm describing to you, that kind of sounds like a star player, right? Like if we're working backwards to say this is what they need, not star role player, the archetype of what they need is basically an all-star caliber player. Where you get it, I don't know, but that is to me what would work a lot. And I think ideally... To me, that's more a wing than a big, just because I'm sort of of the mind now that unless you have one of the premier, premier bigs like the Giannis or the Jokic or the Embiid, I think we've seen from what Dallas did and from what Golden State did with Kevon Looney that if you have the right bigs, you can make it work in today's NBA. So that type of player would make the Mavericks better. I guess I'm a little hesitant to say that the guard play was the main thing to focus on after the conference, you know, the I don't think it's the main thing to focus on, but I think like if there's a wing who could do that stuff, that's the ideal platonic ideal of what you would want because they need a third guy anyways who could, you know, create offense while playing defense or else you get 40 minutes a night of DFS and Ricky Okay, but block. but realistically we're not we're not looking at a wing, you know, we're not looking at a 6-7 seven, seven player who can be a primary offensive initiator. You're not, but you that, could be looking at 6-5 Zach Levine. Okay. Okay. I, I think that I think that's an interesting question. I, I don't think it's super likely, but certainly we've seen some rumors that made it, it right. seem much more plausible than it did three months ago. I'm just talking what names are out there. I'm not saying what's you know we're we're starting broad and we're going to hone in throughout the off season here. Right. I you know I watched Andrew Wiggins in the Warrior series and. I thought that's the type of player that they could really use, you know, a one more wing who shoots, but also makes secondary weak side plays. Um, I also think that might be a more plausible player that you could go target oh, and try yeah. to find. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and that's like, when you said this is complicated and, and difficult, you know, you're balancing, okay, what is, what is ideally the player who makes this team better? What is, <laughs> 
plausibly out there to, you know, what type of player can plausibly be obtained with what the Mavericks have to give up. You know, if you're saying, oh, you're going to get to trade Jalen Brunson for, you know, Bradley Beal and Bradley Beal just like top of mind. Yeah, he's not leaving yeah, Washington. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm settled on that. But let's, let's just say, you know, somebody like him. You know, that that's a trade you can make, but you're also not going to trade. Would you trade Bradley Beal for Zach Levine? May, maybe, actually. Um, you'd, you'd, you'd think about that. Would you trade, yeah. you know, Jalen Brunson for uh, RJ Hampton, who is more of that wing creator, younger? But I've had that thought in my head a few times right. this year. Um, right, right, right. And then there's, you know, look, there's the or, other or conversation. Can you go get an Andrew Wiggins type? Someone yeah. who has secondary playmaking, but it doesn't involve giving up Jalen Brunson now or later. It's a player that more realistically could be obtained within the structure of the team as it currently is. How would yeah. that sort of player amplify the guard play that you do currently have? Whether Spencer Dinwiddie is on the team or not, whether Spencer Dinwiddie is somebody you're trying to, you know, move on to a to an upgraded third guard, someone maybe a little more consistent. Uh, you know, right. Or just, flip side. Yeah. I mean, because and you can talk it, yourself in circles and circles and circles. With well, this, and, right? you know, and we could, we could talk, we can make the circle bigger, right? What if we are all, everything that Tim and I are discussing right now is presuming they are definitely going to play the same exact way and want to merely augment that system, which for the record, I think is probably what they should do and what they probably will try to do. But if you want to talk about the biggest impact name that will be available, that they could probably get if they put the right pieces out there, you get Rudy Gobert, suddenly you change a lot of your positives and a lot of your negatives at the same time. And is that a calculus that Dallas's front office goes, well, on the one hand, uh, it might, you know, all the spacing that we suddenly created by trading Porzingis, that shrinks again. On the other hand, that's the best rim protector in the game. That's an offensive, re- that's a rebounding monster. That's a guy who, hey, Utah never ran plays for. What if Luka throws him those Powell lobs? What if Luka plays pick and roll with him? And that 70% field goal percentage is suddenly wrecking people on the interior. Uh, that's an entirely, I mean, not only is that a all-star caliber talent, that completely frame reframes everything we think about this team. Does Dallas go into the offseason and say, you know what? Yeah, this is another radical reinvention again within a calendar year, but it's worth it because this guy does so much stuff that we need at a superlative level. And then we run into the philosophical question that is going around the NBA uh, it has been going around the NBA for for a decade now. What bigs, what big men are postseason big men? Right. But it's reaching a new height in terms of, you know, the Mavericks beat two teams with two really good centers. I, I think the, the highest, well, not the highest paid players, but, you know, two good centers, two starters who were expected to, in their own way, be players who could beat small ball. Look, Utah doesn't pass to Gobert enough, but I... I've watched enough of Gobert that the reason Gobert doesn't score inside is a Gobert problem. It's not a passing problem. You know, that's not, I I don't have any more faith that Luka Doncic is the person who's going to get him uh, deep post positioning and constantly scoring. How many times do we see Gobert himself be the one who flubs that and, you know, fumbles something out of bounds, doesn't have, you know, just doesn't have the natural interior instinct. And then we watched DeAndre Ayton, someone who put up good numbers, I'm telling you, I watched that series. We all watched that series. I do not think DeAndre Ayton was particularly impactful in the past, in the last five games. I thought that the way the Mavericks were playing defense, 
he needed to do a lot more to force them out of doing that. And just every once in a while, he would kind of score in the creases and the gaps. He wasn't doing it consistently enough to change the way that the Mavericks play. And you can say, you know, the Mavericks are the Mavericks defense. Not every defense is like the Mavericks, except they kind of are. You know, I I, I was just watching, you know, game seven of, of Boston and Miami. They're both playing very, very similar defenses. They're doubling all the time on the Stars and trusting their rotations to make it back to the shooters in time. And the way that the Warriors punished uh, the Mavericks doing that, ultimately, is that they had role players who can make plays against those closeouts. Because good defenses with enough, you know, six, seven-ish dudes, athletic dudes who are running around and recovering, and also, importantly, making the right rotations, those guys can make those rotations. They can get back, for the most part, in time. But they can't necessarily close out and then defend, you know, someone who is a diverse closeout attacker, someone yeah. who can get into the, you know, Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter early in the series. And, you know, Jordan Poole were making plays in the mid range and sometimes they're getting all the way to the rim. And I don't I wonder if that's not more of the next phase of basketball than any big man. You know, we've even seen Bam Adebayo, really good switch defender. One of a kind switch defender. There's pretty much no one like him in the league. To right. He's a unicorn level. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, you know, he was limited offensively against the same Boston defense that to me is is not dissimilar to the way that the Mavericks play. Now, I think Boston has more defensive talent overall. And as much as we're going to focus on the offense, I, I do wonder if one more defender who has like next level athleticism and recovery ability and recovery speed, um, you know, somebody who can make those plays like we saw Mikel Bridges do one time in the first game where he sprints out and blocks someone in the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if if that isn't what they're missing. And the real answer is it's all of these things. Like, they're missing all of these things, and you don't need all of these things to make yourself a title contender. You have to just prioritize which one you feel is most important or most missing, or alternately, you have to prioritize which is the type of thing which missing player, missing skill set, missing archetype is easiest to get while retaining the talent that we do have on the roster currently? Yeah. We, I, I'm talking as if I'm the Mavericks, obviously. Right. And I think maybe the answer, whatever it is within that framework, I think a very key aspect of this answer, and this could you know transition us into talking about what the roster looks like right now as far as what well, guys let's, really— Let's do one more thing on the center. Like, Yeah, I, I want to say this real quick, though. Whatever they get, whether it's a center, whether it's guard, whatever this player is— that player has to be a two-way player. Because right now, so much of this roster's flaws is that compared to the Western Conference finalists, it's not just the gap between Luka to the next best guy. It's that so many of these guys excel on one end of the floor or the other, and they can be exposed to one end of the end of the floor or the other. Not that any of them are outright horrible players or weaknesses, but once you get to the conference finals level, you've got to be, you know, you've got to be above average in multiple phases. And if you look at a lot of these guys on the roster, you know, the best offensive players are not the best defensive players. The best defensive players are not the best offensive players. And you look at Golden State, Andrew Wiggins does what Andrew Wiggins does while being the fourth or sometimes third offensive threat on the floor. That's not something that's really happening in Dallas right now. You look at Boston, Boston's two best, def- two of Boston's three best defenders are they're two best players. And Marcus Smart is the defensive player of the year. doesn't kill you on offense. Quite the opposite. He actually enables a lot of things as a secondary grader. So you need well-rounded players, and that's the problem. 
that's what this team does not have a lot of. They have some specialists. And Istok Franco, who writes for us over at D, did a great piece on this before the playoffs. He looked at what Dallas had, and he actually sort of foretold in a way, without even knowing it, how they could beat Phoenix, which is that they had enough secondary playmaking besides Doncic that only Phoenix could really compete with that. But what he looked at with this roster, and it was glaring, was that, hey, this team depends on a lot of specialists after Luka. And that is ultimately, in a lot of ways, what doomed them. Yeah, I hear you. I just don't think Gobert or Aiton. And again, the... the I'm not saying I'm betting on this. This, this right. is not me saying get Rudy Gobert. I'm silly saying when we're talking about permutations of options they have, the option that I think they could have if they want to go that route is Rudy Gobert. I think that's an envisionable path much more so than a Zach Levine. I'm not saying you go down that path. I'm just saying it's a conversation they will have in the room because at the very least, if you know you can get a player like that who solves on paper some of your weaknesses, you're going to have the talk. I don't think there's any center I would pay $30 million to. Um, Probably not. You know, I out, think outside move, of like an MVP, the, the two MVPs. Right, yeah. The, the, the three, I mean, you know, the obvious ones, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. to me, I think what I would do is you try to find your answer to a Kavon Looney that lesser paid guy who could do a lot of stuff you try to find your Andrew Wiggins type ideally you know look in a dream world you try to get a Zach Levine because I think Zach Levine would fit a lot of what they need but it's not to spend a lot of money on a big now I will say I'm not out entirely on DeAndre Ayton I think there are a lot of what Ayton's raw tools have and what he showed especially last year you can imagine him fitting more in this modern NBA than some of these other young fives but I think it's a moot point anyways because he's restricted. As cheap as Robert Sarver is, I'll believe they let him go when you see it. And there are enough questions that like, all right, are you really to commit that much money when your cap sheet is limited for a restricted free agent center? You might not get and you tie up your money and it's too many headaches. It's just too much of a headache for too much of an uncertainty. Yeah, and I don't – to my understanding, there, there really isn't a sign and trade that it makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, for, so – yeah. Um, I like ahead. the idea of Jeremy Grant – Sign and trade for Aiton for those two teams, but that's interesting. That's not there. That's not a that's not a Mavericks thing. So I th- I think the question that that we're landing on is is you know which players are are two way players. Um, Zach Levine, I think as much as his offense absolutely fits and might be worth it. I think he's a worse defender than both Luca and Jalen. Now Luca played some really bad defense, but you know we've discussed why these Luca problems are, are these Luca problems? And, you know, maybe, maybe having Zach Levine would help mitigate some of the Luca stuff. I, I don't want to get into the, the Luca stuff is, is really, really hard to say for sure. You know, I, I don't think that they're trying to reduce his touches or the way he plays offense uh, next season. I, I don't think they will. Um, I, I think the only way that you come to that conclusion is with a few more seasons of, you know, at least, at least one or two more where he is consistently wearing down every single time. You know, the past two seasons have had enough um, addendums and, and enough uh, qualifiers that I'm I'm just I'm not there yet. I'm not there with him. Um, we haven't seen enough good. of a fully maximized Luka Doncic to right. know that it can't work. And he's twenty. As much as you know, he's twenty three. We've all gone over the you know the conditioning stuff. You haven't seen peak Luka Doncic fail at this, right? Like we all wrote this off with James Harden when James Harden wasn't doing this successfully enough at age twenty nine. All right. Well, we're a long way from that. So yeah, I'm with you. If, yeah. If three years from now, it isn't working and Lucas 26. All right, there's still plenty of time to pivot. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So setting Lucas' defense aside, I, I think Jalen Brunson is above average. I've, I'm, I've been really impressed with him this season, especially in the in the season's finals, final months. You know, it's... It's it's not just that he draws a bunch of charges. Um, what that represents more broadly is that he is always making the backside rotation. He is yeah. always rotating to the right spots on the floor to contest shots. You don't see, you know, teams get a bunch of wide open layups. Now he has defensive limitations as a small regard. I don't fear that that you couldn't build a top five defense. I mean, they more or less had one with him playing heavy minutes. Right. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think he's a defensive liability to the point that, um, you know, I don't think of him as like, you know, somebody they got to swap out to ever make a deep postseason run. Now offensive, we, we could talk about his offense, but I'm just saying, I think he's enough of a two way guy that if his offense continues to fit, that if you can drop him down a, a slot or, if you can just get some more of these, you know, kind of two way, more creative wings. Uh, I like Brunson on, you know, as a winning player, as a 16 game player, not just an yeah. 82, but you know, that's kind of the discussion right. we're going to have is, is, you know, there's 82 game players who, who get you through the regular season, Dwight Powell, um, who doesn't really cannot really play a role in the postseason. Um, Dwight Powell's the obvious example of he's, he's one, but not the other. Uh, to me, Brunson isn't that. Um, I, I think it's obvious that Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock are both 16 game players. 82 yep. as well. You know, they're they're right. not. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not you're not keeping them in ice. You know, I guess the example of like a 16 game player is like late stage Andre Iguodala. Um, you know, back a couple of years ago where he basically mm-hmm. didn't play all year, Just dusted him uh, off. Got yeah, him off the yeah, shelf, dusted him, quite, got him ready. Quite literally. There, there's a couple more examples <laughs> like that. But I know like towards the very end of the Warriors run, like he barely yeah. played. And then the postseason, they're like, all right, all right. You know, we, we, we got your body all ready to go for this. I think, um, I think Maxie's a really interesting question. Um, yeah. He was, here's their best center. He's the reason that they got that far in the postseason. I genuinely believe that. Because... Um, they 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 couldn't have played Finney Smith at center and, and you know if, if Maxi had continued playing like he was in February and March, they don't make it that far simply, and just because yeah and just because he was who he was in the postseason, we still saw moments where you know he kind of reverted back in form and then bounced out of it really quickly, you know. There was so after the second round, John Hollinger wrote a really good piece. Um, you know, one of those pieces that. I could see this becoming one of those things you look back on a point to be like, aha, this guy saw it first. He wrote it, he called it the concept of spaceball. And what it focused on what Dallas did to advance and what Boston did to beat Milwaukee. And it's this idea of a lot of what we've been talking about, right? The traditional bigs are getting phased out. You go smaller, you space the floor, you shoot a bunch of threes, you make other teams play, you know, you rotate aggressively, you close down spots, you make other teams score twos while you score your threes, you the math wins out of the end, right? It was very telling that at the time he wrote that. Among the final four teams, the only guy who was 6'10 or bigger playing heavy minutes on any of them was Maxi. What he does when he is on is very unique and he is very valuable. And I think the key towards making it work, I, I, he's a 16-game player for me, but it can't be at the sample size that they play him. Both because we know that this is the guy who he will wear down, but also because if he is going through one of those streaks, you need a, you need an alternative. And that was one of the things that killed Dallas most. Maybe the thing that killed Dallas the most other than possibly just no wing depth, was that when Maxi didn't have it, there was good luck. 
there was nothing else you could do. It was done. He, he might almost be a, a 16 game player, not an 82 game player. He turns 31 next season. Obviously, I'm not, you know, I'm not right. not being an 82, but he's not someone like you've got to use him. You got to keep him a bubble wrap in the season because he's yeah, so exactly. valuable in the postseason and you could win right. without him in the regular season. Right. And right. that's, I think, what you're getting at. You can you can find ways to win regular season games without Maxi Kleba. But this roster, the way it is right now, I don't know how you win postseason games without him. You can you can fib and you can get Dwight Powell if he's back next year. You can get, you know, find ways to make Dwight work and other things. But, you know, come postseason time, you, you need Maxi for 30 a night. I heard Tim McMahon toss out the name uh, Nick Claxton. Um, and again, we're, we're, we're Nick not Claxton's talking. Claxton's a dude. So when I was in the tail end of my run at The Athletic, I was also initially editing you. I was editing Alex Schiffer on the Nets. Learned a lot about Nick Claxton. Nick Claxton, talent-wise, fits a lot. Nick Claxton is also very young basketball mentality-wise. So there's got to be a lot of kind of instinctual development. But he does fit. Right, he he's got some range. He's very bouncy. He's athletic. I mean, that's a, the sort of dude who could do some maxi-ish things while also Luca could throw him lobs. Um, so he's intriguing. Honestly, he's like the post like postseason viable Dwight Powell, right? And again, Kinda, yeah. we're talking we're talking conceptually right now. We're now, really neither them, on neither of them do what you like, want them to do rebounding wise. That's like maybe I tossed it out as like a as yeah. in a, in a theoretical way. Um, and I, we are continuing to do the same. I. I this is not a podcast to talk about. Is this move going? Is this trade going to happen? Let's talk about how likely it is. I think that's but, scale. That's what yeah. we're talking about. Like Claxton not break the, the bank. Type of player, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the sort of tier of money that we're thinking of right now. He's 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 switchier, more defensively able, capable than Dwight Powell. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I think he would maintain a little bit more offensive. He's you know offensively, he's got the Dwight Powell athleticism pre-injury. Uh, I think he's somebody who, you know, I think to my understanding, he's a pretty good rebounder, uh, something that Dwight Powell has never been great at and, and I think is getting worse at. And look, so as that's, if we were, that's the type of player that you're you're thinking about because nobody's paying Nick Claxton $30 million. I'm no, not sure he's no. making $15 million, But he's the right so. type of, yeah, he's the right type of, you know, 8, eight to 10 to $12 million fitting piece that, uh, sure, 82 games, uh, you know, Look, anybody on the team, obviously, you know, it's not it's not either or like 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 we were saying, but he's the type of player who who does give you a legitimate center tandem. Um, again, a type of player like that. And could give I would you also a add, tandem. I would also add if we want to get even more complicated, because this is something I'm sure the front office will think of, too. Nick Claxton, very big age gap between him and Maxi Kleba. And that's important because this team, as much as the organization wants to push the narrative, and to a degree, they're right that, hey, this is the only the beginning. This is the beginning of our run. Well, your defensive core, your three best defenders are 29, 30, and 31, right? Or 29 and both 30. I forget if Balak is 30 or 31 yet. But those guys are not Luka aged. They're not Jalen Brunson aged. So if you, know, if you could get – you need to fill the gaps to win now, right? The window's now. If they decide – you know, to go the other direction from what Tim and I think and think that Rudy Gobert is the guy, you don't care that Rudy Gobert is 30 with a lot of money ahead of you. The window is now. But ideally, if you're getting your role players and you're the next phase of these guys coming in, Nick Claxton makes a lot of sense because Nick Claxton is 21 or 22. And if and when Maxi Kleba ages out, if they're right about a Nick Claxton, Nick Claxton could be here for a while. And that would help a lot so you don't have a sudden role player vacuum along 27-year-old Luka Doncic and 28-year-old Jalen Brunston, for instance. Do you think Tim Hardaway Jr. is a 16-game player? And <sighs> my initial reaction is, is yeah. In, 
look, he would have helped. You know, sixteen games, oh, yeah. sixteen wins to win a title. He would have been helpful this postseason because I think he'd have won because of who they were playing. They would. He would. He might have won him get an extra game. Just Tim B and Tim. We've seen enough of those here's, performances here's my where turns it on. Yeah. He averaged thirty minutes this season before his injury. Mm-hmm. I think that if he's a useful player for the Mavericks going forward, he isn't going to average more than twenty four. I don't think that his, you know, maybe in the regular season a little bit more, but he's a defensive liability. I think he can hold his own at times, but I don't know how much, you know, you're going to look, you're not relying on him for defense and like, he's not a two way guy, you know, at best you're going to get a, a capable player. And the one nice thing the Mavericks had going for them is they weren't, they needed more shot making. They would have loved to have Hardaway. They were at least playing in his spot defensively minded players or giving even more minutes to, you know, Bullock and Finney Smith. Right. That allowed them to be as successful as they were uh, to the point that, you know, I I wonder at times if if Hardaway would have been, you know, even if healthy, would have been relegated into that role. I I don't know if that's what he sees himself as, though. You know, that that's kind of that's kind of my biggest question, you know, as a as a floor spacer, uh, you know, microwave scorer off the bench. I I still see you know some value for for him on this team, and I see some postseason viability. Uh, I don't know if that's a a role that he's looking for, and we also have to consider that he was worse before his injury. Right. I have expressed some theories on that. You know, I think the 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 freer uh, Jason Kidd approach probably he was the one player who was affected negatively by that. It's a theory. I don't know for sure. You know, maybe small, maybe he, yeah, you know, maybe he didn't adjust the basketball, you know, maybe it was all the basketball's fault and he just didn't have the tail end of the season. A lot of guy, yeah. Everybody I mean, started shooting. I, I don't know, but you know, right. it, it does, it does make you think. And I don't think there's any guarantees on the roster next year, you know? And so this, this is one of those questions where I, I do think it's worth noting that Hardaway was injured, that Hardaway, you know, if, if on the team is coming back, um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's good to have that as an option, but I'm not sold on Tim Hardaway Jr. changing or or filling the needs of this team that, you know, the absences that we saw or or the shortcomings that we saw in the postseason. I guess I'm not convinced that Hardaway, you know, even if theoretically he kind of fits into that role, I'm I'm not convinced he for certain does that. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, to take a global view of this exercise, there are five guys I think we both agree are 16-game players, right? It's Luca, it's Brunson, it's Finney Smith, it's Bullock, it's Kleba. From there, for me, you have three questions that determine a lot. Number one, is Tim Hardaway Jr. a 16-game player? Number two, is Spencer Dinwiddie a 16-game player? Number three, can you have Spencer Dinwiddie and Tim Hardaway on the same roster at the same time? even if you think they're both 16-game players. Because this is where I really struggle. It's less about Tim and it's less about Spencer and more. It's hard for me to envision a world at their salary structures, with their skill sets, with what Dallas needs them to do, that you need both. You could convince me if I'm wrong here. But it's hard for me to imagine both of them doing what you need and being deployed. Because if you keep them both, you... But I just, you know, it's it's a zero-sum thing, right? It's the salary cap. It's the way it works. If you keep them both, you sort of ha- are committing to playing them in postseason games, both of them. And that means that in a, you know, They're ideally, probably together. They're probably both together players. at points. And I, Not probably. God, I don't tr- like, like together. And I don't <laughs> There's tr- no well, problem with it. They're both Mitch players. Sta- yeah. yeah, but you can stagger minutes. You know, you can go clever. But, like, and God help me, I don't trust them both defensively together at the same time. I don't necessarily trust 
both of them to want to seed the ball to the other enough. Uh, and in, I know Dallas played essentially a seven man rotation a lot of time. Ideally you want nine, even in a nine man rotation. I don't know how this works. And so for me, I guess it's less about is Tim a 16 game player or more? Who do you bet on more in 16 games? Spencer Dinwiddie or Tim Hardaway Jr.? That's my question to you. Well, what'd you make of Spencer? I think that's where we can end here. And I'm I'm hoping you have an explanation here because he is <laughs> he is still he has still been a, a somewhat baffling player to me. Well, and here's the wild card that hangs over all this. And it is a very important wild card. The guy is at this point, he's what, a little over a year off the ACL tear? And this isn't an Achilles, right? This isn't a multi-year recovery. This isn't a he's, thing. He's about a year and a half. Year and a half. Okay. So yeah. this isn't like a two-year project um, with an Achilles where you might not ever and probably won't ever get the same explosiveness back. We have every reason to think, barring some anomalies, that he'll be who he is. But still, you're recovering from an ACL tear. You switch teams midseason. It's a lot. So you he could argue 29 that- last month. Turn 29, so still in his nominal athletic prime, at least what we traditionally consider it to be, right? Usually you think of it 27 to 32. Maybe it's a little lower depending on the sport. Um, so all of that is to say we still might not – like we might not get close to the real answer until we see what he is training on a real team in full health in an offseason. I – you know, my thing with Spencer is just like – Shit, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I think when it's on, it's the sort of thing. Like if if he is closer to Spence, regular season Spencer Spencer Dinwiddie, yeah, hell, even if he's Warrior Series Spencer Dinwiddie, when he wasn't amazing all five games, but more often than not, he was very good. That guy's a postseason player, even with defensive limitations, because that guy does the come off the bench and light it up. But he also can provide ball handling in a way that is more reliable than Tim Hardaway Jr. can do. If Spencer Dinwiddie is here, Tim Hardaway Jr. essentially has to be shooting off the catch more, which is something he can do to a point. But then if you're not playing defense and you're not creating with the ball in your hands and you're paying him that much money to not be an elite, elite three-point guy, and we don't know if he is in this new system yet, right? That was part of the regression that we saw before the injury. What are we kind of doing? You know, That's not to say that Tim Hardaway Jr. can't be really valuable on the right team. This just might not be the right team anymore given the personnel and the schemes. And so if I'm going to bet on one of them right now, I'm going to bet on Dinwiddie because I think we've seen the benefits of having that third ball handler. And if I deal with some of those headaches, to me, I could deal with that with Spencer more than I can with Tim because neither one of you, neither one is going to help you defensively. Do you buy this or do you not? Yeah, I, I can't explain why he struggled most of the Phoenix series. I do think that he was what he was trying to do on the court was a bad fit to you know challenge Rudy Gobert. I, I think. Out of all the Mavericks affected by Rudy Gobert, it was by far him the most. It's still very... It, it feels like there's no rhyme or reason to whether he's hitting three-point shots. He was really good on wide-open looks and on catch-and-shoot looks. He's actually been better on catch-and-shoot looks throughout his career. And his overall percentage percentages have been dragged down by just taking so many pull-ups. I think that's interesting. I think it's a... You know, it's something you look at and you raise your eyebrows and you say, okay, okay, maybe it's shot selection that we can we can drill down on a little bit. But he also doesn't seem like, you know, he's 29, uh, right. turning, turning 30 at the end of next season. How much can you change the way he plays when he seems to have a very clear vision of how he wants to play? And I do think that the three-guard look 
or or the three guard you know having three guards having three playmakers the option. not necessarily yeah. yeah uh the option of putting all three together but certainly always having two on the court at the same time i i think to to me if i'm dallas that's what i'm looking to build around it's not going and getting a second star you keep that option open i you don't say no if the right type of talented player comes available and you can make the deal for them i don't think dallas should be going moving into the future like yearning after some second star you know somebody who is a you know does five more five points per game more than jalen brunson to me that's not that's not the the holistic approach it's it's a reactionary approach that you're set up to act on should everything fall in place which is how they won the title in 2011 they were always just compiling players and made good deals when the opportunity came around and it's how they didn't win a title for any following exactly. year after that. <laughs> yeah, because, because, because they, they, they waited for the capper. Right, exactly. Right. So they you laser focused on those stars. So, yeah, that's, that's you know, I think that's where I'm at with this team is, is you get talented players and they want to come. You know, they want to come join Dallas. There's a decent chance that you have enough to, to make that trade anyway. Right, yeah. But in the meantime, I, I think that you look at Spencer... I'm I'm still undecided. I, I'd be very curious to see what he looks like next year. I, I think there's a chance that he's just a, a player that that fits into the system a little cleaner than his rockiest moments were, especially early on in the postseason. I think that's possible. Um, you know, certainly the injury is is a factor. That's a that is a factor. And you know, right. even though he's rem- far removed from it now, you know, there's still walls that you hit when. You know, you do come back, you know, I, he came back from that injury, you know, eight or nine months in. That's part of the whole, your second year is better. It's not that, you know, Spencer didn't know what he might not, you know, he probably has the same, like he's probably recovered, recuperated the level of athleticism, you know, within a few percentiles of what is to be expected of him. But, you know, you still just hit physical walls that you just can't power through without you know, another off season and, and another kind of reset. So I'd be curious. I'd be curious about that. And, and, and that's why I, I think I'd be okay with that trio. If, you know, they upgrade around the perimeter and they upgrade wings and they're able to find another a discount big or, or a, you know, a non-star big, somebody who, who fits a role on this team, but, you know, isn't expected to do anything more than what they're capable of. And I think it's worth noting, and I can't remember if we talked about this on the show or not, but one thing that Spencer does that is very valuable to them is when he does attack the rim, he does it, it's a changeup to how Brunson and how Doncic do right. it, right? It is more athletic, it's more aggressive, a little more reckless, but reckless can be good sometimes, right? That's one of Tim Hardaway Jr.'s selling points is that he's he's a wild card, and sometimes that wild card wins you games. Well, Spencer does that in a way to where he gets to the rack, and it's not the the measured you know, trickiness of a Jalen Brunson. And it's different than Luca's, you know, million ways he gets there, but one of them is not pure explosiveness. Spencer does that. And that there's a value to that, especially coming off the bench, not just for fresh legs, but also the defense is used to playing one pace around the rim. And suddenly here's this guy who is throwing them off that rhythm. Gobert bothered him. I'm not walking that back, but yeah, Spencer yammed on him. <laughs> He got him good. <laughs> he did. Like, he did. We didn't see we didn't see dunks like that all season from any Maverick. I think Maxi had one really good one. I want to say, or maybe I'm just thinking of him getting getting dunked all over as well. Um, they don't have players on the rosters who who no you know, they don't have, do they that. Don't have, they don't and have like that. That speaks to your point. Saying. That absolutely speaks to your point. 
And I think it's worth noting too that like you're you're dead on about the fact that like he's 29, he's be 30, he's a little set in his ways. But he's somebody who came here and very quickly adapted. There, look, there's there's a difference between not wanting to do something and just sort of instinctively not being able to all the time. I don't know if Spencer can do every little thing they want him to do instinctively, but I, I'm pretty sure he's trying. I'm pretty sure he buys into everything that they want him to do. And this is not to say that Tim Hardaway would not, but Tim Hardaway signed his contract right when he was the third guy on a very different roster for a different coach. Tim Hardaway's mindset signing that deal was very different than what he probably would be asked to do this coming season. And so that's not to say Tim Hardaway can't do it. That's not to say he does not want to do it. But it is to say that we know Spencer is willing and has shown he will try to adapt to whatever they want. And there is also value to that too. I agree with that. So I think going forwards, you know, I I said this at the beginning of the show that it's both what is best to build around this team, what are the areas they're missing, but an equally second part of that question is, okay, is the theoretical ways that we'd like to build the team even possible? Is it plausible? Are those players available? Uh, at what cost would those players be available? When would those players be available? Can you get one that kind of fills one of those roles in the draft, you know, with this upcoming draft pick? Is is there, you know, a, a low ceiling, high floor player that's less possible? And that has to be, you know, we can have the first half discussion all we want, all day. We can talk about it for ten, you know, 77 whole minutes, in fact. <sighs> but it doesn't matter. It does not matter without the actual plausibility of what those things are. So I think as uh, we're going to take next week off um, for a recording. I'm going to take a little vacation. But I think when we come back, that's what we're going to be focused on. And it's, it's okay. We have an idea of what we think the team should be doing. And there's several routes, and well, this is the one that we one kind of another. think might work right now, right? But again, when you're voting around Luca, there's no, there's not really a wrong way to do it, um, or there's certainly a lot that makes sense. And so, as we come back, take a week off. I think the right thing to do is being like, okay, what's well, actually plausible? Let's look around the league. So, plan to uh, to see us here, and uh, in a couple weeks, thank you guys for sticking with us, and glad we we're able to put out a bunch of podcasts on the feed. I think we're pretty much going on a weekly basis uh, through for agency. Probably a few special episodes, things like that. Uh, instant reactions when when news goes down, when when needed. But until then, you know, we've just got a lot of uh, a lot of scrolling through Basketball Reference and uh, Spot Rack, the <laughs> premier site of salary cap information. For nerds, just gotta like figure us. out what's what's realistic. You know, we've got some text to send, some conversations to have. We'll figure this out for you guys. We're going to tell you what's going to happen this offseason. So honestly, don't listen if you don't want spoilers. But um, yeah, we'll be back with all that. Call. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. We'll see ya. You play Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca. Big dick Donjic from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you hit? Don't fight the future, it tears me apart. Don't fight the future, please be nice to Luca. Future four time MVP. Oh my god! Oh! Shut it down! Let's go home! It's a wrap, Doug! That is a wrap. 